One of the things we do during this series is, um, you know, what makes up a, a church are the people. In fact, when you read the word church in the New Testament, it's a Greek word, ekklesia. It just means the called out ones. Now, we say things like, hey, I'll meet you down at the church. And so you can get the idea that the church is this building. And the church is never a building in the Bible. The church is, is you, Christian. If you name the name of Christ, you are the church. And so what happens is on a Saturday night, you know, we gather together. The church, believers gather together. Tomorrow morning at 9 and 11 and over in the venue, the church will, will gather together here. And one of the things we've been doing is have, we have these not ashamed videos where we get to meet somebody who's a part of our church family, and they've all been really interesting. So check out the, the, the Jumbotrons. As long as I can remember since I was a child, I struggled with depression. I went through counseling. I took medications. Nothing seemed to help. I had hit rock bottom about five years ago. I remember asking my mom, Mom, could you take my kids? I, I didn't feel like I could care for them anymore. I didn't think I could care for anything anymore. I did not see a future in my life, but God had a different plan. I remember going to my mom and asking my mom if I could move home. She said, um, the only thing that I asked from you is you need to get back to Christ. You need to find him. And I didn't know where to begin. I didn't know what to do. I had no idea, but I knew she was right. So um, she volunteered at Good Samaritans. Something inside of me told me that's where, I, that's where I needed to go and that is what I needed to do. The first time that I stepped foot into Good Sam's, the people, they were so welcoming. They were so loving. It was like they knew why I was here. They accepted me for who I was and um, taught me how to trust, spoke a lot of scripture to me. I could feel God within me. I could feel him inside of me. For the first time in my life, I could feel him with me. Uh, I didn't want to lose that feeling. I didn't want that feeling to go away. It, it was shortly after that Pastor Alan Boone came and approached me and, and asked me, through brief conversation if I would be interested in being part of the hospitality team. Uh, that, was, uh, that was a big change in my life then because somebody noticed me, somebody that I didn't know, um, somebody that to me was very close to God. I mean, it was a pastor, a pastor noticed me. I started on the hospitality team and it was my sweet spot. The Lord opened up my heart. He taught me how to feel, how to trust. I remember thinking, you know, there's more. I know there's more that you want from me. I don't understand it. I don't know why, but I know there's more. When I uh, approached Tim, the director of Good Sam's, I said, you know, Tim, I, I, th I feel like there's something else for me. I feel like God is leading me for something else. and. I'm not really sure what that is. And a few minutes later, there was a knock on the, on the office door where we were talking and um, this girl came in and she said, hey Tim, I do the appointment scheduling for Good Sam's and, and I'm 
giving you my notice. I'm going to be leaving in about a month and I need somebody to take my place. And he looked at me and I looked at him and he said, you know, Angie, would you like to be the appointment scheduler for Good Samaritans? And, and I said, yes. My life is completely different now. There is truth in God breathing new life. When people come in here to Good Sam's, they're broken and I was broken and I remember that feeling. And to think that God put me in that position and to think that he trusted me enough to give me that opportunity. And I, I want to be able to let people know that you're loved and you're important and you're valued, that there is always hope and there is always grace. And all you have to do is ask for it and he'll give it to you. My name is Angie Gibson and I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You'll see Angie running around this place all, all the time. She loves the Lord and loves to serve. Some of you may not realize this as I was watching that just the other day. Um, you know, our Good Sam ministry today delivered um, over 500 meals to families. They were all here. But every month, including this month, we help 300 new families out of Good Sam every month here. So you add the 300 to the 500, it'll be about 800 to 1,000 families in our community will uh, have food to eat. And uh, one, of the things, yeah, one of the things that happens out there is you can't just show up. It, we, we have some organization, and the reason why we have it organized the way we do, the reason why Angie needs to kind of make uh, phone calls and stuff is we want to have a, a moment where we can sit there and talk with these families that come in. And there are offices out there where we can sit down and care about them and find out a little bit about them and care about them as a human being. And so those 300 new families that we uh, help out at, out at Good Sam, those are scheduled appointments. And it's unbelievable the manpower that goes into that. And I'm grateful for, for Angie. Well, here's the deal. Over the, the last two weeks, we've been looking at some of the, the great ben, benefits of, of being a, a Christian. Now, some of these benefits don't kick in until we die. In other words, uh, we don't get to enjoy them right now. As an example, we all have to wait to experience heaven. Now, heaven's a great benefit, but we don't get to experience it until we take our last breath down here. We have to actually wait until we see the, the face of the Lord. I've never seen him before. I've seen him through the, you know, obviously the, the words written between these two leather-bound covers. I, I've experienced him to some degree through times of prayer and worship. But the reality is, I've never seen him. But I will someday when I take my last breath. You still have to continue to put on the armor of God because you have to deal with uh, the demons this side of heaven. We all have to carry around, I don't know, tissue paper because this side of heaven you still experience pain and sorrow and, and suffering. But there are some benefits that we get to enjoy right now. In Romans chapter 5, what we're looking at is just loaded with a number of them. And as I said over the last two weekends. So far, we, we've looked at five of them. Number one, because of Jesus, 
you have peace with God. Look at Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Peace has come between us and God simply because of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, because of Jesus, you have access to God. Verse two, the first part of it says, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Not only has peace been made between you and God because of your relationship with Jesus, but because you have Jesus in your life, God says you now have access to me. You can come to me, God says, anytime you want. You can be, bring your request to God anytime you want. You now have access to God. You, you don't have to come to God through me or through a priest. You don't have to bring an animal to be sacrificed to somehow get to God. Because of Jesus Christ who lives in you, you now have access to God. Number three, because of Jesus, you have a, a hope in this life. The second half of verse two says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And the hope that we have is that someday we're, we're gonna leave this place. The, the big $10 word is glorification takes place. We go across the finish line. We're now going to be in heaven forever. No matter what happens to us down here on planet Earth, we have the hope that someday we're gonna leave this place and be with the Lord forever. Then number four, we looked at uh, this last week. Because of Jesus, your, your problems now have a purpose. Verse three says of Romans chapter five, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And last week we talked about the fact that everybody has problems, everybody. Just because you know Christ as your savior, just because you've become a child of God, just because peace has been made between you and God, just because you have access to God, just because you now know that when you die you're gonna go to heaven, doesn't exempt you from the troubles or the bummers or the sorrows of life. We all experience those things. But for a believer, we know that God uses the troubles of life uh, to our, our benefit. He's transforming us more and more into the image of his son. God uses the trials and the troubles and all of those things to make us more like Jesus. And number five, because of Jesus, you experience God's love through the Holy Spirit that indwells you. Verse five says, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. I shared with you last week that whenever you give your life to Christ, whenever that moment is, maybe for some of you it'll be tonight. For some of you it was last weekend. For uh, some of you it was a decade ago. For some it was longer than that. Some of you have known Christ longer than I've been alive. At the moment you gave your life to the Lord, the Bible says that he came and he now lives in you. You now have Christ in you. Jesus now lives in you. And at that moment, what happens is you, you've got God's love actually in you. 
Now I want you to look at verse six of your text because now we're gonna kind of move a little bit into tonight's message. What proof do you have that God loves you? You're looking at verse six, right? You're all there. You see, at just the right time, Paul says, when we were still powerless, it's a great descriptor of us before we knew Christ. Christ died for the ungodly. Another descriptor of us. We were ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, Paul says, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. And I had a lot of questions about that particular verse last week, and people wanted to know exactly what was Paul getting at. Let me explain it to you this way. In 1981, there was a man by the name of Tim McCarthy. Anybody know who Tim McCarthy was? McCarthy. Anybody know who he was? You'll know who he was in just a second. Tim McCarty was a Secret Service agent who was protecting then uh, President Ronald Reagan. And a crazy evil guy came out with a pistol and started shooting at the president. He was trying to kill him. And this Secret Service agent by the name of Tim Carty, McCarty dove in front of a bullet. He literally took a bullet for the president. Now here's the deal. He was willing to give up his life for the president. The president's a, a good man. So he was willing to give up his life for this good man. Now, probably Tim McCarthy wouldn't have taken a bullet for, say, uh, Saddam Hussein. He probably wouldn't have jumped in front of a bullet that was meant for Hitler. But he, he would for a good man. But even then, let's be honest, folks. Anybody here, uh, well, you know what, some of you are going to act cool. Probably there isn't anybody else in this room who would have dove in front of a bullet even for Reagan. That man was highly trained. And he knew that Reagan was a good man, and so he was willing to die for a good man, but he certainly wasn't going to die for a, a, an evil man. And then what Paul says is this. But God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still Saddam Hussein, while we were still Hitler, while we were still ungodly, while we were still sinners, Christ took the bullet for us. He was willing to die for someone who was evil. He was willing to take a bullet for evil, wicked people. And so he's tying this whole thing together. Here's the deal. When, when those moments come, when you feel like God doesn't love you, you just need to remember the cross. That's what you need to remember. He loved you when you were an evil, rebellious, wicked sinner. God, God took a bullet for you because he loved you. The cross proves without a doubt that you are loved by God. It's, it's, it's the cross. Some of you might have a cross hanging around your neck and you ought to reach down and just feel it right now. Maybe you got crosses around your ears. Maybe you ought to just feel them right now. 
Maybe you got a beautiful cross in your home or whatever it might be. Why not tonight go home and you know what? You probably put the crosses on, didn't even think anything about it. But that cross proves to you how much you are loved by God. How many of you have ever heard that old saying, you know, God helps those who help themselves? Probably all have heard that, right? I want you to know the Bible says just the opposite. It says that God helps those who can't help themselves. That God loves those who aren't lovable. In verse 6, while we were powerless. Verse 8 says, while we were still sinners. Verse 10 says, while we were his enemies. Christ did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. We're so messed up that we couldn't save ourselves, but he loved us and made a way for us to be saved. And when you surrender your life over to him, not only does he take a bullet for you, but he also blesses your life with a whole bunch of other great benefits. And tonight we're gonna look at at two more of those benefits, okay? Uh, Romans chapter five is just loaded up with all kinds of great things. I could have taken each one of these benefits and done a series on them, literally. But tonight, hopefully, we'll look at uh, number six and, and number seven, okay? So number six, because of Jesus, you have eternal security. Because of Jesus, you have eternal security. Because you've invited Christ into your life, your eternity is secure. Look at verse nine of Romans five. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through this life? Now let me unpack this for you, okay? We're living in a time where faithfulness is is a rare thing. In other words, people don't keep their word much anymore. People don't keep their promises anymore. Husbands and wives are often unfaithful to the promises or vows they make on their wedding day. In fact, if statistics are right, everybody in this room knows somebody personally, a man or a woman who was not faithful Uh, to their vow. Everybody in this room, you you know somebody personally. Children are often unfaithful to live out the principles that their parents instill within them. Parents are often unfaithful to their children as it relates to their responsibility to raise them to the glory of God. Employees are often unfaithful to their employers. Employers are often unfaithful to their employees. Friends are often unfaithful to the promises that they make. And unfortunately, we as Christians are often unfaithful to God, aren't we? Unfaithful to live out the principles of God's word. There's not a single person who's not guilty of this ugly sin, the sin of unfaithfulness. Everybody here, I don't care how much you love Jesus. I don't care how long you've walked with Jesus. Well, the longer you've walked with him, the more you can go, amen, brother, I haven't been faithful. There have been many times in my life when I knew exactly what the word of God said. The general spoke. 
And I, as one of his infantrymen, decided, you know what, general, I'm not doing it. All of us. Every one of us has been unfaithful to some degree or another in some area of our life. And because of this, it's easy to fall into the trap and believe that even God is unfaithful. I mean, does God really keep his promises? Is he trustworthy? Is he faithful? If he something, you know, says something, you know, you know can, can you really bank on it? Can you really put your trust in what God's word says? Listen, here's the deal. You may have been burned a thousand times by people. There may not be one person who's ever been trustworthy in your life, but God is. He is trustworthy. The Bible tells us that God is faithful. And friends, this is one of the most important truths in all of scripture because it's upon God's faithfulness that everything we believe in stands. If God can't be trusted, if God is not faithful, man, just throw this thing out. What are you doing here? No point in coming. If, you know, well, you know, he's really not all that faithful. He really doesn't keep his promises. Then what a waste of our night. But the reality is, is that God is faithful. Yes, you may have had everybody in your life who's close to you, your, your spouse, your parents, I don't know. Everybody may have been unfaithful to you. And it's easy then to transfer that and say, well, you know, pastor, I've heard you preach a number of messages and you talk about all these things, but I don't know. I don't know whether God really is faithful or not. I get it. I understand how you can get there. I understand the logic. But the reality is, is that God is faithful. Lamentations chapter three says, great is his faithfulness. One of the, one of the, you know, mighty songs of the church. Great is his faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. And aren't you glad I'm not singing in the choir? You know, I get it. But man, what a great song. The reason why that's one of the anthems of the church is because of the truth behind it and the importance of understanding and believing that truth. You gotta believe it. Psalms chapter 89 says, your unfailing love will last forever. Your faithfulness is as enduring as the heavens. All of heaven will praise your great wonders, Lord. Myriads of angels will praise you for your faithfulness. Psalms chapter 33 says, for the word of the Lord is right and true. He, that's God, is faithful in all that he does, all that he says. He's faithful. I'm often asked, and I think I might have told you this before, by, by young people especially, is there anything that God can't do? And the answer is yes. There's a lot of things that God can't do. Let me give you a couple of things that God can't do. And some of you are going, what? What do you mean there's something God can't do? There's a lot of things God can't do. Number one, God cannot lie. He always tells the truth. Hebrews chapter six says, so God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. 
So God left us his word. This is the word of God, the inerrant word of God. The Holy Spirit filled the writers in a very unique way, and they pinned what God wanted us to know. This is truth right here. This is truth. God can't lie. And number two, God cannot break a promise. He's faithful. Numbers 23 says God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Psalms 145 says the Lord will keep all of his promises. Beloved, there are over 7,000 promises in the Bible. I'll bet a lot of you have those little books that have all the promises from God written in them. I actually have a book that has like over 7,000 promises that God has made in his book in the Bible. And each of these 7,000 promises, each of them have either been fulfilled or they will be fulfilled. A lot of the promises that God has made have already happened. I promise to send you a savior. I promise to send you a Messiah. That's the message of the Old Testament. And in, I don't know, five weekends, guess what? We celebrate the fact that God kept his promise and he sent the Messiah, the savior, Jesus. So that's a promise that's already been fulfilled. But there are quite a few promises that have yet to be fulfilled. Jesus said he's coming back again. We're all still sitting here. That one hadn't happened, but he said he's gonna do it and you can bank on it. He's faithful, can't tell a lie. He does what he says he's gonna do. The writer of Hebrews said this, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can, can be trusted to keep his promise. He can be trusted, beloved. I don't, care. I don't care about all the people in your life. It could have been your first husband, your second husband, your third husband, your fourth wife. I don't care. They all may have been unfaithful to you. That doesn't mean God is. God's faithful. I can't lie. And he's faithful. Now I want to get a little bit more specific here, okay? John chapter 1 says this. Yet to all who received him, to all who gave their life to Christ, all who surrendered their life over to Jesus, it was a genuine moment where you humbled yourself and you gave your life to Christ. To those who believe in his name, he gave those people the right to become children of God. Beloved, if God promises that when you receive his son, Jesus Christ, into your life, you become a child of his, it's a done deal. Why? Because I said so? No, because God just said so. And he always keeps his promise. He can take you to the bank. Jesus said this in John chapter three, for God so loved the world that's you and I, he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him, whoever surrenders their life over to him, shouldn't perish, but they'll have eternal life. 
Here's the deal. If God promises that when you receive his son, Jesus Christ, into your life, you won't perish, it's a done deal. Why? Because I say so? No. It's because God says so in his word, and he's faithful. He'll do exactly what he says he's going to do. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 10. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everybody who surrenders their life over to him. Everybody who says, God, look, I've been the CEO of my life. I understand who you are, and I understand who I am, and I'm giving my life over to you. You're now in control of my life. You're the general of my life, and I'm just one of your foot soldiers now. If that is truly genuine, anybody who calls on the name of the Lord is going to be saved. Beloved, if God promises that when you call on his name, on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, you'll be saved, it's a done deal. Why? Because I say so? No, who cares what I say? The word of God says it. And he can't lie and he's faithful. So you can take it to the bank. I want you to listen to what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. The word of God says, may God himself, this is Paul writing, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. In other words, may, may God change your life. May, may, may God make you more and more like his son. May, may God purify your life. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. He will do it. This is a, a prayer, really, of security. This is one of the most important verses on the security of the believer that you'll find in all of Scripture. Christian, you don't keep your own salvation. The one who called you, God, he's faithful, and he'll do it. If you could lose your salvation, you would. <laughs> do, do you understand how wicked the flesh is? How depraved the flesh is? Paul said no good dwells in this. Nothing good is in this. It's the headquarters of sin. Sin lives in your flesh. That's why when you take your last breath, this piece of flesh, which just connects you to the physical, boom, done. Put it in a box. I don't burn it up. This doesn't get to go to heaven. It's just sinful, evil, wicked, powerful. Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, hey, let me just tell you, the, the, the spirit is willing. Guys, you need to pray because the spirit in you is willing. It, it wants to obey. It wants to fulfill my, my, my will. But he said, the flesh is weak. Listen, if it was possible for you to lose your salvation, you would. That's how powerful your flesh is. Don't think that somehow you keep it because you don't. He who is faithful, he keeps it. 
If indeed your decision to follow him was genuine, he's the one who does it. The great D.A. Carson said this, he said, although the Christian life demands human effort, in the last analysis it depends on God himself who is faithful, those who trust in him are trusting that he will preserve them right to the end and they have every reason to believe that he is trustworthy. That's a, that's, a, that's a powerful statement. The writer of Hebrews said this in Hebrews chapter seven, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Beloved, Jesus Christ is praying for you and he's praying for you right now, so here's the deal. For you to lose your salvation, Jesus Christ would have to stop praying for you. And I can guarantee you, he's not gonna stop praying for you. He always is interceding for us, always. He's not gonna stop interceding for you, even when you go sideways. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. Here's the deal. Your salvation is secure. You can't lose it. Oh, you'll stumble and you'll fall, you'll make mistakes, you'll strain the relationship, you'll get out of fellowship, you'll miss out on uh, you know, some of God's blessings down here on planet Earth and you'll lose some rewards in heaven, but you'll never lose your salvation. Once you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you can't become an unbeliever in Jesus Christ. Dr. MacArthur, one of my favorite theologians, said, if God had the power and the will to redeem us in the first place, how much more does he have the power and the will to keep us redeemed? <laughs> if the dying Savior reconciled us to God, surely the living Savior can and will keep us reconciled. 1 John chapter five says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know, God wants you to know that you are saved, that you have eternal life. If you could lose your salvation, then how would you know? Well, you know, man, I kicked the cat today. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm not saved, I don't know. I had a bad thought, I had a bad day, I had a bad week, I had a bad month. Maybe I'm not saved anymore. And unfortunately, there are churches out there that will teach, really, in my opinion, it's just evil, it's just wicked, it's wicked, it's blasphemous. And it messes up a whole lot of really good people. People who truly gave their life over to Christ and they're running around wondering, man, am I really saved? I don't know if I'm saved. I had a bad thought yesterday. Am I saved? I don't know, I gotta get on my knees and pray all the time. They just live in constant fear that somehow, you know, the God who saved them, who redeemed them, may somehow go, yeah, your name's written in the book of life, but I got an eraser. <laughs> Let me tell you something. If my name could be erased from the Lamb's book of life, the Lord has gone through a lot of erasers. Uh, countryman. Oh, you prayed again, okay. Uh. Hey, pray it again. I mess up again. Ah! I mean, how, how crazy is that? Let me tell you something. When God writes your name in the Lamb's book of life, he's not using a pencil. It's a done deal if it, it was indeed a true um, 
moment of repentance. And here's the deal, I don't know whether something's true or not. We use the phraseology around here that someone made a profession of faith. Because I, I, you're not gonna stand before me, I can't look in your heart. You, you can trick me, I don't know. If you tell me you know the Lord, great, okay. Good, good enough for me. You made a profession. I think time will bear out whether that was a reality or not. Jesus makes this powerful statement in John chapter 10. He said, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my father's hands. I don't know. <laughs> uh, is that clear? Do I need to give any commentary on that? When you get into the hand of God, he's got you. Now, I know people, uh, it's happened in my life, I, I've, I've ran. The thing is, his hand is just ginormous. Just, you run, and you get tired, and you're just blowing all these blessings that God has for you down here on planet Earth, and maybe you're losing some rewards, and you're running like crazy. And you finally just stop and go, God, I'm so sorry. And God goes, great, that's fine. You, you haven't even got close. You, you haven't even got close to falling off the edge. He's got you. He's got you. See, God wants you to know. He wants you to know you're saved. He doesn't want you to wonder about it and think about it and go home and be nervous about it. He wants you to know. And some of you are thinking, well, what about Judas? D didn't he lose his salvation? And the answer is no. He didn't lose his salvation. Beloved, he never had it. He never truly surrendered his life over to Jesus. Yes, he was close to Jesus. Yes, he hung out with Jesus. Yes, he knew a lot about Jesus. Yes, he could quote things about Jesus. Yes, he touched Jesus. Yes, he even kissed Jesus, but he never surrendered his life over to Jesus. There was never a moment of true repentance in his life. We all probably know someone that came to church and was in Bible study and they served somewhere maybe for years and years and then all of a sudden they were gone and they're living a life of sin. They, they no longer you know, want anything to do with Jesus. Did they lose their salvation? Well, here's the deal. I don't know. I don't know. They just may be in a long run. Oftentimes, uh, I think people never really surrender their life over to Jesus. They're much like Judas, yes, they were close to Jesus. Yes, they hung out with Jesus. Yes, they knew a lot about Jesus. Yes, they could quote things about Jesus. Yes, they sang songs about Jesus. Yes, they did a lot of things about Jesus. You can come to church and it's a beautiful place to be. It's friendly and it's, the music is great and sacred and who can't uh, agree with most of what's written in here? You can come and and, 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 and never have surrendered your life over to Christ. That's possible. So what happens when a, when a Christian sins? What happens when 
we don't live the way God wants us to live. Well, it's important you understand the difference between fellowship and relationship. Fellowship is, is the joy you share. Relationship is your standing. God grieves over a believer who lives in sin, but he doesn't kick them out of the family. He doesn't kick them out of the palm of his hand. We see this principle in our own families, don't we? I grieve when my kids do sinful things. I discipline my kids when they do sinful things. When they do sinful things, they may miss out on some of the blessings that go on in our home. They may miss out on some rewards that might have been given out if they had you know, lived more honorably or whatever the words are. But I don't kick them out of my family. There's nothing my children could do that make me make them not my children. No matter what they do, I won't disown them. I, I can say I'm displeased with what you've done, not happy with what you've done, bum me out how you're living, but they'll always be my, my child. The Bible tells us that King David, who loved God deeply, had an affair with a woman, Bathsheba, and then had her husband, Uriah, murdered, which obviously brought great guilt upon his life. And in Psalms chapter 51, King David repents of this horrible sin, and he says this. He says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. He didn't say, Give me back my salvation. He didn't need to say that. He said, just restore the joy. You see, sin, when you're running from God and you're trying to get out of his hand, so to speak, you'll lose the joy. And the joy is one of the great blessings of knowing Christ. I can't tell you how many times I've been out of fellowship with God in my many decades of being a follower of Christ. And the joy just gets sucked right out of your life. But then, like King David, you know, you go, oh God, forgive me. And man, boom, just like that. There's joy. There's joy. N -n Number seven, and I'll just do this very, very quickly, okay? Uh, because of Jesus, you have something to rejoice about. <laughs> What I just shared is something to rejoice about. Look at verse 11. He says, not only this, not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now received reconciliation. And if you were to look up the word joy in the dictionary, it means an emotion invoked by well-being, an emotion invoked by success, an emotion invoked by good fortune or by the prospect of possessing uh, what one desires to experience great pleasure or delight. And the one I really liked was a state of, of happiness or, or, or bliss. Now, now here's the deal. Once you think about all these benefits we've looked at over the last three weekends here, okay? Here we go. Number one, you're at peace with God. You have 24 access to God. You have a great hope that you'll spend your eternity in heaven. There's a purpose in all of your problems. The Holy Spirit fills you with his love. Your salvation is eternally secure. And you have a reason to rejoice. Now, now here's the deal. We as believers ought to be the happiest people on the planet. 
When the unsaved look at us, they ought to see people who are absolutely giddy. The benefits of knowing Jesus Christ are awesome. The the word joy ought to go hand in hand with the word Christian. They just ought to go together. We've looked at one chapter, Romans 5, and we've looked at all these unbelievable benefits of, of surrendering our life over to Christ. And it ought to just bring just joy to our lives. That's why the great apostle Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, always, always. Again, I'll say rejoice. We have something to rejoice about, even when everything around us is falling apart. When you live a life of rejoicing, you know what it does? Listen to me. It attracts people. It attracts the lost. I mean, who doesn't like to be around someone that's full of joy? I love to be around Christians who understand how great their salvation is and they live it out through a life filled with rejoicing. It's refreshing to be around those types of people, isn't it? Who They just have joy in their life. Now, before we get up and walk out of here, and we're going to do this in just a second, I want you to think about you for a second. And this is that hard moment where I just let the Holy Spirit do whatever. Are you living a life of joy? The people you interface with at work, who know you go to church, know that you're a believer, they see a person full of joy. People in your neighborhood, do they see a person full of joy? Would those you come in contact with see someone who rejoices in the fact that they know Jesus Christ and all the things that go along with it, the salvation? A person who lives a, a, a joy-filled life because of all the great benefits that are ours in, in Christ. Let me tell you something. That, that, that means something. Because I guess the opposite is, is that you're a person who just likes to grumble and complain. You're always mad about something, you know. Woe is me. I can't believe this is happening to me. And all your coworkers are kind of watching it. People you do life with are watching it. What do they see? Do they see joy? They see complaining, grumbling. Look, here's the deal. There's a ton of things that we can sit around and complain about, isn't there? I got, a whole, I, I got a list of them. And oftentimes my flesh gets the better of me, and I do. I could rattle off a number of things that we could just all be mad at. What, what, what if Wednesday we, I said, it's not a Thanksgiving service. It's come and complain. <laughs> go to the mic and just grumble about something. Some of you would go, hey, I, I'd be there. I, I wasn't going to come Wednesday, but you change it around. Oh, you count me in. I got some stuff I need to get off my chest. No, but let me tell you what's so beautiful about that gathering is we put up a mic here and there, and you get to go and take a minute or two and just talk and tell everybody about some cool, neat thing that's happened in your life. And you know what happens? Everybody's blessed by it. Everybody. Let's be a community of people 
a community of believers that because we understand how great our salvation is, we, we live lives of celebration. We live lives of rejoicing. And if we do that, let me tell you what would happen. If, if the family here at Big Valley Grace just said, you know what, here's the deal. I'm, I'm understanding my salvation and I got a lot to be joyful about, and I'm going to live a life of joy. I'm going to make that a real commitment in my life. Oh, you're not going to do it perfectly, but if we'd all make that commitment, let me tell you what would happen. There wouldn't be enough room in this building to hold all the people who'd want to know this great and awesome God. It's the people that you work with, the people you play tennis against, the people you do, and they were to see the joy in your life. I, I heard the guy's battling cancer. Yeah, but do you see the joy in his life? Yeah, that's weird. I know. What is it? What is it about him? Hey, did you hear about, you know, all the bummer? Yeah, but did you see how he's living his life? Do you see the joy in his life? Yeah. I'm going to tell you. It, it would revolutionize evangelism. If people could see the joy bubbling up from your, your life, I, I, I guarantee it, it would make a huge difference. Okay, everybody stand up. Everybody stand up. Father, thank you, Lord, for our time here tonight. I, I really enjoyed it. This has been a great day, Lord. This has been a great day. Great day. I'm so thankful for the generosity of the people here that we could do what we do here. I'm so thankful that hundreds came to serve. So, so thankful for all those that prayed. Lord, coming and singing these great songs. Lord, thank you for sacred music. Father, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for your word. Grateful for Romans chapter five. And it's just a beautiful, powerful section of the word of God. Lord, I pray that somehow these devotionals would uh, be a blessing to us as a family. As many of us say, hey, 2017 is gonna be different. I'm gonna get in the word every day and make a difference. I know it will, God. Thanks, Jesus, for your goodness. And I pray this in your name. And all of God's people said, amen.